Hey guys, we're supposed to watch this movie Oakjaw this week for the podcast, but I don't know if it's really right for us. I'm not sure that I'd call it a fantasy movie. Sci-fi, sure, but I don't know. Well, what do you mean? There's like a magical creature in it. I mean, I don't know if it's really magical. It's like a GMO pig. Uh, yeah, a GMO pig with, uh, like, human-level intelligence and a bond with a little child they go on adventures with, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a good start, but there's no, like, magic or, like, sword fights or anything. I mean, what about the magical poop? The creature poops everywhere. Alright, I mean, yeah, that's starting to get into the territory of our show, but I don't think that we're just about movies with poop. There has to be, like, something fantastical. Well, I mean, it does poop on a guy, specifically on a person, and there's a lot of poop. But if you're still not convinced, I mean, it's a movie about the poor standing up to a rich corporation. So it's all about class struggle, Jamie. Guys, I think this is going to be the perfect movie for our podcast. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my genetically modified co-hosts. Oh boy. I'm Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm a persimmon tree that grows unnaturally large persimmons. Uh, Seems like a good deal. Yeah, I just like, you know, soaking up the sun's rays and um, extracting water and nutrients from the soil, communicating with my fellow trees through our root systems. You know, simple life. Sounds nice to me. Yeah. Sounds like a life I might be happier with. Sometimes I feel this incredibly intense vibration as if something's hitting me with great force, and it drops my fruit. Oh, God! But otherwise, I'm fine. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Actually, it kind of feels like, you know, a haircut. (laughs) Well, that's nice. Yeah. (laughs) But who are you, person sitting there next to me? Who, me? Well, obviously, I'm... Pregnant pause. (laughs) Jack Olander. And my pronouns are any and all. (laughs) And I'm a golden pig MacGuffin, here to save the day through capitalism. (laughs) 
Oh boy, I instantly dislike you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a tool. I'm just a tool. Oh, okay. Well, we're all a tool to capitalism. So that actually, I get it. And now I feel class solidarity with you. And you maintain your status as a bribe, no matter which hands you transfer to. You know, it's the circle of economy. The pig gets taken out of the ground. Golden pig, not super pig. It gets passed to the capitalist. The capitalist dies and feeds the persimmon tree. Wait, I like this part. (laughs) And persimmons turn to gold, which becomes me. And the cycle starts all over again. I do oh, not. Un- and that includes me. I do not understand geology. <laughs> or botany, apparently. Or biology. <laughs> or anything. <laughs> After watching this movie, I feel like I know less about everything. But what movie are we talking about? I don't know. You have to tell us. <laughs> because I assume everybody knows at this point that we're going to be talking about the 2017 Bong Joon-ho film Okja, which is quite heavy. Yeah, the trailer doesn't really convey that very well. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a Bong Joon-ho movie, so we should have probably guessed it would be pretty intense. We, we totally should have known. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a fantasy horror movie. <laughs> the horror is capitalism. Exactly. Yes. The horror is always capitalism. Yes. But guys, how did we end up watching this film this week? <laughs> well, it was our ding-dong patron vote. That's right, Jamie. Our patron. What, what's a ding-dong patron? <laughs> I, think, I think I'm not aware of that particular setup that we have. It's like a ding-dong dash. They pay for our Patreon and then leave before getting any of the content. That was not what I was expecting the ding-dong patrons to be. But they do get to vote on movies that we're going to watch and cover each month. Our ding-dong patrons or the regular patrons? (laughs) All of the above. Okay, good. And uh, there's also cool art that they get, like duck art occasionally. Whenever Jack is feeling up to it. When the migration comes. And other cool bonus episodes, but to find out what they are, you're going to have to just heckin' go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire to check it out. Seems like a really good idea. Yeah. But so guys, we should probably start talking about Oakjaw. But before we do, I just want to warn our listeners that this is a very heavy film. And that there are going to be some potentially triggering elements that we're going to be talking about. And as usual, we'll try to discuss them sensitively. But this movie involves things including child endangerment, sexual violence, animal cruelty, and other disturbing images. So, if you think that might be too much for you to handle, I think there's some really good Wheel of Time episodes in our library. Or maybe check out an episode where we talk about... Something a little bit more your speed. But anyways, if you're still here with us and you are going to come along for this great discussion, I think we're ready to summarize Oakjaw.
Okay, guys, so I want to try to keep this summary brief if I can, because, oh boy, is there a lot to cover for this movie. It is so dense. It's an epic adventure, right? No, it is epic and an adventure. Yes. But it also covers a lot of heavy subjects that are very loaded ethically, morally, and intellectually. Yeah, I mean, this is a theme throughout Bong Joon-ho's library, right? I mean, we've got movies like Parasite, Snowpiercer, The Host, a lot of stuff with heavy themes and, like, elements of comedy and levity, but also interspersed with some really horrific images and events. It's true. So, like most Bong Joon-ho movies, this is about the common person getting caught in the middle of political struggles, maybe between classes or different social groups. And this movie is no exception. But specifically, it's about a young girl named Mija who lives in the mountains in South Korea with her grandfather. Who's kind of a dick, but also kind of nice. He's like a trickster. True. And they have a magical creature. Just the best pig. That's kind of, that's called a pig, but it's kind of like a hippo cow pig thing. What what are you talking about? Isn't this just a standard run-of-the-mill pig? No. It's a super pig. Uh, I mean, granted, it's a great pig. I agree with that. Sorry, pigs. This is what peak swine performance looks like. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind. It's built like a hippo, and it poops like a hippo. <laughs> it does. <laughs> That's a great detail to include. But it's kind of bearing, and facial features are kind of like a cross between a cow and a pig. I can see that. And its temperament as well. Its temperament is not like a hippo. <laughs> now, it's, its intelligence appears to be better than most humans I've met. Yeah, true. <laughs> it understands human speech more than other animals, because other animals can learn what certain words are not necessarily mean, but how to associate them with meaning. And it has better emotional intelligence than most of my relatives, so... hey <laughs> If you hear any shenanigans in the background, by the way, listeners, that is one of our cats, Odin, who's playing around with a bottle cap, one of her favorite toys. It's basically the best thing in the world to her. It's so crazy that you trained a cat to, like, New Year's Eve noise rattlers and firecrackers (laughs) as toys. And we want our babies to be happy, so we try to give them as much autonomy as we can. That's right. Unlike in this film. So. (laughs) There you go. Here we go. Mija might think that she and her grandfather are paying off the corporation that gave them Okja to eventually own her outright and be able to keep her on their farm. But in reality, he was lying to her. You're telling me that people lie on behalf of corporations? It's unheard of, I know. And that's part of why it's fantasy. I was going to say, no wonder this movie's a fantastical world! (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it turns out that Okja is part of a major project 
on behalf of the Mirando Corporation. Boo, corporations. And uh, turns out they're lying as well. But so it's part of the Super Pig Project. <laughs> it's a really good pig project. They claim that they found an animal in Chile that was like a super pig. And then they bred it naturally and got 26 cryptids. I mean, babies. But here's the thing. They lied. Exactly. What's really going on here, Jamie? What's really going on is that the Mirando Corporation genetically engineered some hyper-intelligent, very adorable, monstrous pig creatures. And 27 of them were not horrendously malformed at creation. So those became kind of the spokesman versions. The reality is there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these pigs but the majority of them do not look pleasant enough for the public to perceive them as cute, friendly animals. Something we would want to eat. Right, exactly, because you only want to eat cute things. <laughs> you certainly don't want to eat ugly things. <laughs> so, turns out, Okja is the winner of the contest that they created of the Super Pig Project. She's so cute and intelligent, she's gotta be delicious. Yeah. And she's also the biggest one. And so some of the delegates of the corporation, including Dr. Johnny, who's one of the figureheads or basically the face of the corporation. I thought he was Dr. Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> he comes with some of his crew to film their super pig. Oksha. Their abduction of their super pig. Yeah, well, you're preempting what I was going to say. And so Mija and her grandfather, who happens to be named Hebong, think that they're just there to catalog it, or maybe Hebong knows more than that. Uh, he knows more. And turns out they have something else in mind. So what happens after that, Jack? Deception happens next. As our protagonist is distracted whilst the corporate foe runs away with Okja. Despicable. Kidnapping her and taking her to Seoul to to lure her into their corporate trap. That's right. Yeah, and they plan to take her back to New York City, where New York City, where their labs are, and where they're going to <laughs> unveil her to the world as their prize pig. Oh my God! I just realized that this is like the Charlotte's Web. Yeah, yeah, that'll do, pig. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Tilda Swinton really weaves the Charlotte's web in this movie. <laughs> yes, it is I, the Charlotte, and you have fallen into my web. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. Hold on. Wait, <laughs> this is a corporation that's doing it? More like a charlatan's web, if you ask me. Whoa. That's some profit. Mija isn't um, having any of that. She gets the money that she saved up and just... Runs, starts running after them, and doesn't stop. Yo, this kid is bold as fuck. I know, and she tracks Okja to Seal. Uh, she got that much out of her grandfather, that that's where they were taking Okja. Uh, she makes it there, and tries to save her, breaks into the corporate headquarters there. Hell yeah. The Mirando corporate headquarters. Fucking Mija is my hero. She's standing up against the corporation. Makes her way through the labyrinthian offices and finds her way finally to Oakjaw. She 
going to save her and is helped by the ALF. ALF? Yeah. That fuzzy thing that eats cats? Or the Animal Liberation Front. No, oh, that probably makes a, more supposedly sense. Supposedly nonviolent animal rights group. So they're not terrorists. They you know that because they tell you that they're not terrorists the first time we see them. Yeah, they help Oakjaw and Mija escape in a truck, and with the help of Oakjaw's poop in people's faces, they claim they're going to help her. But then they have their own agenda, and they put a chip in Oakjaw's ear. And then escape, leaving Mija and Okja to be captured again. It's a camera, actually. Yeah. So they're recording everything that happens to Okja. And it gets dark. Yeah. Very dark. And... As she is brought to the labs and Jake Gyllenhaal kind of drunkenly begins experimenting on her, things get real dark for a while. Yes. And... Some footage is leaked when Mija was arrested, and the CEO of the corporation, Lucy, is worried this is going to sink the entire corporation because of the bad publicity. But then one of her aides, Frank, convinces her to turn Mija into the new face of the company. And they actually basically force her into being like their new spokesperson. spokesperson. Uh, against Mija's will. And they threaten to harm Okja or kill her if Mija doesn't cooperate. And eventually they unveil Okja at a big parade in New York City. And the Animal Liberation Front has apologized. It's actually Jay who apologizes to Mija and tells her of a plan to save Okja again. It's a clusterfuck. They fail. They're captured by some private police force, and it's really brutal. They're called Black Chalk, which are basically just Blackwater. Yeah. And they escape with the help of one of their other members. And then what happens after that, guys? In the interim from that, Lucy Miranda's sister, Nancy, also played by Tilda Swinton, takes over the corporation with the very believable narrative that the public are really stupid. They're just going to eat these pigs no matter what. If you put the meat out and it tastes good, people are going to eat that pig meat. She says if it's cheap, they'll eat it. That's right. So she puts a plan in action to get the slaughterhouse production going. Meanwhile, Mija and some of the ALF make their way to that slaughterhouse to have a final showdown and to try to rescue Oakjaw. They see thousands of these cryptid pigs just in these huge pens, kind of like the cow or cattle ranches in parts of California. And they're just packed in there. It's really bleak. And it kind of looks like a concentration camp. Or a slaughterhouse. Yeah. And they infiltrate, try to save Oakjaw by convincing the technician not to murder her. Trying to appeal to his empathy. But then Nancy comes up with her uh, entourage and orders him to kill her. And they try to appeal to her empathy, which is non-existent. Yes. And she says it's all... She's a real Tilda Swinton type. It's all... Sorry, she's a real Tilda Swinton in a Bong Joon-ho movie type. Yeah. And she says it's all just business. Very cold and callous. Finally, 
the MacGuffin comes out, the golden pig that was Misha's grandpa's bribe to her to not be sad about losing Okja. She bribes Nancy with it and rolls it over to her. It's solid fucking gold. It's worth way more than one super pig. At least according to the logic of this film. But Nancy, to the logic of Nancy doesn't tell Misha that. She just takes it and says, we have a transaction. Turns from antagonist to supporter and says, okay, everyone, take care of our customer. Make sure our customer and her purchase make it home safely. <laughs> Suddenly, since there's a transaction involved, it's legitimate in her eyes. That's right. It's just good business. <laughs> so, Okja and Mija are allowed to leave. They're actually being helped back home together now. But on their way out, they're going past the pens, and you see a little cryptid baby running along. Oh, boy. With its parents. And the parents, the cryptid parents, open the fence for the baby to get out, and they push it out. And... It's screaming, and then Okja carries it in her mouth to hide it. Yeah, I don't know if they're cryptids because they're created by humans. They're human crypto. <laughs> human cryptos. Is this the that crypto everyone's talking about? <laughs> this is the only crypto I care about. Yeah, me too. It's really dark as they're leaving because you see in the background more of them just being funneled up to be killed, and you see that Mija understands this on her face. And she's only able to save two, but they still leave with those two. And then you see them living happily and peacefully on the farm together at the end. That's right. And at the very end of the movie, we get a little postscript that implies that while the Animal Liberation Front was apprehended, they have actually been still secretly moving behind the scenes. And Jay and Kay and a busload of people are actually getting ready to lead another raid against the Miranda Corporation. So maybe a small bit of hope at the end of a very bleak film. Yeah, they are still resisting, still fighting, and they've recruited more members and are trying to re actively recruit people around them in the bus, specifically an old woman sitting there next to them. It's very funny. Yeah, so that's, that's our little bit of hope that while... Sometimes it feels like resistance to our corporate overlords is futile. It's still worth the fight. That's right. Well, that was thoroughly depressing to relive. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Oakjaw. Now, guys, let me ask you a question as we get started here. Does this movie portray corporations as cartoonishly evil enough? Or is the Mirando Corporation not evil enough to represent real-life corporations? You know, I think it's kind of funny because the main corporate CEO we see is, of Lucy. course, named... Lucy. Lucy. And she... Is very cartoonish, like in the way this director does in some of his other movies. She's very over the top, kind of bubbly and cartoonish. But I think she's less villainous than the more realistic CEO, which is her sister. She, Lucy, is the more CEO who's very sensitive about image. Yeah. And how, you know, a very Elon Musk type where if somebody says something that 
hurts her feelings, she's going to have this big overdramatic reaction and start lashing out in weird and troubling ways. But she is less like, well, less like the real life Elon Musk. She is less vindictive towards the people around her, unlike her sister, who is just Nancy, who is just a hate engine. Okay, so this is one of the elements of the movie that I recognized as a corporate dynasty, uh, where it is owned and operated by one family. That's right. Very much falling into the idea of a ruling class. (laughs) That's basically how they're portrayed. They are... In this film, there is no, like, governing entity that necessarily matters. It is very much like the corporation rules everything. They even have their own, like, private military, which are basically their police. And that is similar to real life. Identical, even. And so the Miranda Corporation is an agrochemical company. and uh, Well, they're agro, all right. So kind of science, technology, merged with biology. And chemistry. And um, the sisters, Lucy and Nancy, are twins. And they and everyone else describes their late father as a sociopath. They are aware of how evil their own father and the founder of this company was. They are not aware of their own evil, it seems. Or maybe Nancy is. Nancy is, and she fully accepts it. And everybody kind of seems to understand that she reminds people of their father but she doesn't think of herself as sadistic as he was to her it's all transactional it's just business lucy sees herself as more of a humanitarian and environmentalist but she's quite the opposite she embodies a different kind of complex sociopathy (laughs) yeah that sociopathy that we might call evil where she thinks she's a good person, but she does terrible things. Yeah. Nancy is like ruthless, but strangely like the film frames her as almost reasonable and that you can negotiate with her. Whereas Lucy is completely ego driven. And for her, everything is about her own image and anything that disrupts that is a huge threat to her. Yeah, she and Dr. Johnny are very similar in that way. They are both completely concerned about their own ego and image. And like you said, that is their main driving force. And like it's embodied in things Lucy says, like, this is my project. My sister can't just come in and take over it. Like uh, talking about the Super Pig project, it's something that she's put her whole identity into. That's right. It's her literal pet project. Yeah. So these are the antagonists. They are people. I think they're, to kind of answer your question earlier, I think they're grounded in reality, even as they're kind of cartoonishly evil. Yeah. I mean, like I said, are they, or, I mean, my question was, are they cartoonishly evil enough to represent real corporations, which are cartoonishly evil, but it's not a cartoon, it's real life. Well, I was going to say Lucy isn't evil enough. And Nancy is. Nancy, to me, is a lot more like someone who has 
only been encouraged and motivated by evil actions that the corporate structure encourages. Nice, yes. Right? I, I like to subscribe to the belief that all people, uh, you know, have inherent good in them and have the capacity to run awry within that. And that the corporate structure completely, like I said, encourages and sets up an atmosphere where it says, hey, be a fucker. It's good for you. Yes. And that's exactly what Nancy has embodied. Since she's at the top of that ladder and is benefited the most by being a vile creature, she just is that. And like we said, she has no empathy because that does not serve her in her position. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate Nancy as a character, but she is honest in her vindictiveness. Or it's not even vindictiveness. In her cruelty. Whereas Lucy wants to cover up everything she's doing with this facade of friendliness. So we're moving into the theme of corporate culture, which is a reflection Vile, of- Vile, disgusting thing that exists. Oh, you were going to go in a different direction. Yes. <laughs> Which is a reflection of our larger Western culture, but also a co-culture. It's distinctly unique from dominant culture in certain ways. But it does share certain things, the ideals of objectivity, stoicism, and logic, and reason over emotions as being the ideal forms of thinking and behaving. Which, of course, is bullshit, but it is definitely how corporate culture works. Thank you, Jamie. That is exactly what I wanted to go into. Um, those are ideals, which means they are something that, generally speaking, people in the dominant Western culture will strive for or hold up as the ideal, but it's not attainable completely, especially with objectivity. It's actually impossible to completely remove yourself from your own subjective experience of reality. <laughs> at, the, at the very least, the biochemicals in your brain are always producing emotions and feelings that will bias every perspective you have. Yeah, and even if you think you're being completely objective, once you delve deeper and think critically about the assumptions behind things you say, do, or think, or write about, or the way a scientific inquiry is written, you will actually find those cultural biases coded into what everything you say and do. That's right. <laughs> so it's impossible, but it's something people strive for. In the case of holding logic and reason over emotions as the ideal, that's actually damaging to yourself and to others. And that's something that we see in this movie. Yeah. A huge problem with it, like, let's say, for example, in the corporate structure, is no matter, like, you're applying it to a goal. And the goal of the corporate structure is to make money, right? That's right. But, Infinite growth. But that's not an objective goal. There is no such thing as an objective goal. You you can't have plans objectively because the end result is always going to be I want this. Right. So somebody wants the profit that comes from whatever the goal is. And 
in these family dynasty systems like this, like the corporate dynasties, your goal is my dad did this, so now I'm carrying it on, right? That's also subjective. And because you're trying to take the objective stance at it, you're not examining the reasons why you're doing this. So you are doing something harmful. And in Lucy's case, it's harmful to herself as well. She's miserable. Oh, yeah. She's living out a toxic fantasy of her abusive father. She just wants to be seen as and respected as somebody who is successful. Probably something she never got from her dad. She should join Elf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well. Maybe her, she will. Her dad and her sister always called her the like loser weirdo or something like yeah. that. Basically the emotional one, it seems like is the implication. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually cannot take our emotions out of the equation either. That is how we experience reality. You cannot divorce yourself from your emotions. If you do, it's actually very damaging for your psyche and it will cause you to create harm for yourself and others around you like Nancy does. They both do, really. Yeah. But yeah, Nancy especially has a cold calculation to her that leads to the wanton slaughter of thousands of sentient creatures. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up, Jamie. This is a huge topic. So, here we go. What is sentience? <laughs> Before I delve into what I researched and everything about this topic, what would you two say you would define sentience as, just off the bat? When I hear sentience, typically I have heard it be described as like a type of self-awareness. Okay. That's actually what I've always kind of fundamentally understood sentience to be as well right partly from what i've read and gleaned in the past and how that's reflected back to me in media like in star trek i was gonna say i usually think of the star trek next generation season one episode the measure of man yeah which is about whether or not data is a sentient being who is able to make his own decisions about his life or whether he is the property of Starfleet. And of course, Captain Picard expertly argues that Data is sentient because he has the ability to make decisions, he is aware of himself, and he has attachments that we would consider to be emotional attachments that go beyond material gain. Like well, how he keeps a holographic image of his friend Tasha Yar, who he had a physical relationship with. So this is the version of sentience that, um, from based on my understanding, is an older definition of the term. Well, Star Trek is from the 80s. Yeah. And of course, all of our listeners know this because they've watched The Next Generation. And if you haven't, go do that. Yeah. I mean, season one is pretty weak overall, but in the tail end of it, ooh starts really picking up. And then the rest of the show, just amazing. And but, I believe you already said, Jamie, that that episode that you were talking about is called The Measure of a Man. The Measure of Man, which Measure is a reference to, uh, you know, a classic book. 
But what is the new definition of sentience? Oh, thank you for asking, Jack. And I need to warn you guys that it's actually quite complicated, but I'm going to try to simplify it for you and all of our listeners and myself (laughs) as best as possible. Well, we all appreciate that. I speak for every listener, too. And we're going to explain after we talk about this why these definitions and distinctions are actually really important and why they matter. So sentience uh, is derived from the Latin verb sentire, I think it might be pronounced, which means... Your guess is as good as mine. Which means to feel. I'm going to blow your minds right now. So the (laughs) modern definition of sentience is... Uh, There are three aspects to it, okay? So I'll go through those. So first of all, it's the ability to experience feelings. Okay. Like emotions. Yes. This is actually all about our senses and emotions. So this is wild to me. Um, Totally different than what I thought. Um, The ability to respond to or be conscious of sense impressions, like getting input from your senses... And being conscious of that. And a capability of feeling things through your physical senses. Okay? Okay. So So a lot of feelings. Yeah. So it is all about sensory experience and your emotions, like we said. So some of the aspects are the ability to experience wanted emotions like happiness, joy, and gratitude. Or unwanted emotions like pain, suffering, and grief. I think I know where you're going with this. So under these definitions, there's actually a lot of non-human animals that are considered sentient. Good. And I want to talk about some examples with you guys. It's just funny that you mention that because the way Nancy is portrayed in the film, there's an argument to be made that she's not sentient. (laughs) That's fair. Or desires non-sentience. And another wild thing... Of course, as we know now and understand that our reality is complex, so most things can be thought of this way. Ta-da! It's a spectrum. Okay. The sentient spectrum. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> that you can have different sentience in different orders of magnitude. Okay, that okay. makes sense. That so, makes sentience. <laughs> so it that has to do with like if you or if an entity <laughs> exhibits. Some of these qualities, but not others. They're considered to have a form of sentience in one order of magnitude or another. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, personally speaking, and to the extent of certain interest groups, other non-human animals are considered to have sentience or their feelings and existence matter beyond what they can do for humans without needing this criteria right to legitimize it but it's just interesting to understand that the scientific community is catching up with that now so the scientific community is growing to accept the reality of sentience of non-human animals and that is expanding so as of right now that has expanded to include other non-human animals of different classes. So I'm going to give you a few examples of what I mean. All right. So in terms of um, other vertebrates, 
it's like a wide range of vertebrates, but some examples would be parrots, dogs, cows, pigs, other farmed animals, and other companion animals. I was going to say, I mean, cats, our cats clearly have moments of contentedness or distress if they've, like, lost something or... They respond to pain or suffering. Yeah. Or they can feel, like you said, content or joy. Yeah. That's clear. They emote. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those are pets, but a lot of those are farm animals, right? And it, it always kind of brings up the conversation of like, oh, why why wouldn't you eat cats or dogs? You eat the other smart, cute creatures, right? Yeah. Right. They're sentient. And no, don't go telling me cows and pigs aren't adorable because you'll sound like an idiot. Yeah, a real fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, really big. No, yeah. the, the bias for which we decide what animals to eat is... The more and more I think about it, the more and more I feel like I want to be a vegetarian, at least. So I think that we can expand on this conversation in a moment. But and I, I love where you guys are going because you're you're edging into. <laughs> um, Excuse me. I love edging. The, what I want to discuss in a little bit, which is the moral, ethical implications of this and why these definitions matter okay so here's a few other examples before we get d deeper into that it's also expanded to include non-vertebrates octopi oh. yes so you're right jamie octopi are actually extra sentient <laughs> yeah. so these are just a few examples but some of them are octopus squid or cuttlefish oh but they're just so cuddly <laughs> Seem a bit fishy to me. Oh, boy. They have cuddle right in the name, Jack. They have fish in the name, too. <laughs> and th if this hasn't blown your mind yet, it, it delves deeper, okay? So just, I'm going to blow your minds even more. Put on your mind-blowing hats, everybody. It's actually expanded recently to also include decapod crustaceans. Nice. Ooh, the power of creation? For a crustacean? I hope this doesn't make you too sad because we eat these all the time. I don't. <laughs> so some of those types of animals are shrimp, lobsters, crayfish, and crabs. I almost never eat any of those things. I was kind of hoping you'd say something completely insane. You're like, giant isopods. <laughs> the things we eat all the time. What? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you saying? Yeah, but oh, those those little guys, they're sentient. They are. And studies continue to determine if arachnids, insects, and gastropods like slugs and snails are in fact sentient or not. Wow. Oh no. Yeah, I don't I know if hope I, they are, but also I don't know if I like the sound of those studies. So this leads to before we get into Maybe our good studies. bigger ethical discussion. This leads to some other questions for me. What about non-sentient beings, which people would argue like trees and plants? Like, just because we think something is sentient or not doesn't mean that it doesn't have value in its own life. It's still alive. Sure. And it still has value in and of itself without having to mean something to humans. Yeah. Or, or be useful to humans. Right. I mean, we have a very biased way of thinking as humans about a lot of people are very much concerned with like what 
something can do for them because that's the ego, right? That's our own mind kind of justifying our needs. Like, okay, I need to build a house. So I cut down the tree. It doesn't matter if a tree can or can't feel just like it doesn't matter to a lot of people if a cow can or can't feel because they feel that their needs supersede the needs of other creatures. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, but I want to kind of blow that assumption up because Kapow. <laughs> honestly, with other recent studies about plant life and plant communication and reactions to stimuli, are plants and trees actually non-sentient? I don't know. I've heard a lot of studies that would argue yes, but they do sometimes fall into the woo-woo category, I believe it's called. And I'm not calling it that. I'm just saying, like, I've heard a lot of people argue... I don't understand what that means. It's like, it's those studies that people produce that seem kind of dramatic and that get kind of broken down by the scientific community sometimes, like about the myconid connectivity where like all the mushrooms on earth, if they can communicate with each other or not. And then some people say, no, that's just like bad use of science. Oh, but there are other studies that show how plants communicate through their root system. Sure. Yeah. And that is assisted by the myconid fungal colonies as well. They connect a lot of tree roots and make like a giant forest system. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's good or bad science because I haven't done nearly enough research to have a strong case either way. That could also be a bias like we talked about earlier because people may not want to see them as sentient because it would have massive implications for the way we treat other living things. And that's something that we're going to be talking about. You know what dang movie addresses that exact point? Oakjaw? And James Cameron's Avatar. Oh, and no. Ferngully. And Ferngully. I like two of these movies. Well, in James Cameron's Avatar, the root system of the whole world is so complex it forms a global neural network, which is why everyone has those penises that connect their brains. True, and there's also a really hard-to-get material in that movie that everyone's going for that is called Unobtainium. Are you saying the corporate structure is screwing over sentient nature for profit? <laughs> wow. Themes really do be between media, though. <laughs> True. So, I think that plants actually fall into somewhere on the spectrum of sentience. Okay. Because they are able to feel things through their physical senses, at least. They're able to detect where water is in the soil, and that's a response to a stimulus from their environment, and they're able to seek out that water source and extract it for nutrients. They also respond to physical stimuli from external sources, like the um, studies that we talked about in our Ferngully episode that show that plants respond to physically and with sound that's inaudible to us without aid when they're bumped or pulled on or when part of them breaks off, they respond to that. Yeah, that's right. And 
I remember we were looking at that one study about where they amplified that sound when people would bump into or nudge these trees. And everyone treats it like a like a person where they like apologize to it when they bump right. into it and stuff. Yeah, it it helps people extend their empathy and recognize plants as other living beings. <laughs> One of the things that slowed down the idea that plants could have some level of intelligence, I think, has to do with partially the idea of central nervous systems. They right. don't have a brain. Like you tell someone, oh, cows are sentient. They might not want to accept it, but I think a, lo a huge majority of humans will be like, okay, sure. With this definition of sentience. Right. But if you're like, oh, a tree is sentient. I know a lot of times in the past, I'm like, but they don't have a brain. How does that make sense until I expanded on that? So thank you, Jack. You're reminding me of something I forgot to mention earlier. So sentience is not knowledge of self, self-awareness or consciousness. That's something that we all mentioned we thought it was at the beginning. That is false. Or the definition has changed. Maybe, but so it's important not to confuse it, though. So self-awareness is the experience of your own personality or individuality. Okay. And um, consciousness is actually something different than that. Consciousness is being aware of one's environment and body and lifestyle. So self-awareness would be the recognition of that awareness. <laughs> self-awareness and consciousness are actually two different things. I've also equated those before in my head. I, mean, right. I can see that one. And so sentience is actually different from that. So the definition of sentience, if you actually expand it, is just having positive or negative experiences like pain or pleasure. Oh, so a Cenobite. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly sentient. Hyper sentient. Uh, so that is a definition that advocate groups take for other animals and even plants. Uh, at least some plants. Um, researchers might have a narrower focus where they accept that but also that you have a subjective experience, including negative, positive, or neutral experiences. Sure. So having self-awareness or consciousness is separate from that, where you're aware of your own personality and how you differ from your environment. So Cass, I got to ask you the big question. Okay. What does this all have to do with Oakjaw? Thank you for asking. You're welcome. Oh, right. <laughs> Now we can get into how this relates to the movie uh, through talking about the moral implications for our behavior. Why? <laughs> Spoilers, they're bad. <laughs> Why does it matter to understand what is sentient and how that is different from consciousness or self-awareness? It's a great question. It matters because... It is kind of like a moral measuring stick for how we think and behave about the other living beings that we coexist with and we are actually interdependent with. So in the movie, we see that the corporate system and the corporate culture is designed to mask this reality in favor of just taking what you want to make a profit. Right. And crafting a narrative so that you can entrap 
others who are called consumers into this web of lies so that they support your agenda and you meaning the corporate overlords. And the movie also kind of raises a question between like whether or not it's even necessary to do that because some people in the public will just go along with what is kind of the path of least resistance. Right. Nancy says like, oh, it doesn't matter that we just got like publicly shamed and humiliated, right? Right. It's affordable. People are going to buy it anyway. That's right. And uh, that's just so true. That's so true. If you've ever bought anything off the A website. The A-hole website. Then you know it's true. Or if you've ever shopped at W Mart or any of these places. Like, I get it. America is set up in such a way that a lot of people are poor and you have to shop at places that can charge you a little amount. And you're just falling right into the web. It's kind of unavoidable. I mean, you're already in the web. You're in the web. I don't fault you for playing along. Because it's life. It's not a game. But to them, it is. Yeah, and they show how people are caught in this web in the movie, even if they are trying to resist it. Like with the ALF. They are resisting the corporate agenda and trying to save and help animals. They have their own agenda, and they think the ends justify the means. Sure. To save animals. It sometimes means that they have to hurt animals to get there. Or to use them in nefarious ways, like sending Oakjaw back to Mirando with the camera in her ear. To obtain footage that would incriminate them. Right. They feel like one animal's suffering might be justified if it can be used to liberate other animals. Right. Which is a theme that actually really nicely ties back to our discussion of RRR from two weeks ago, where Beam and Raju have this kind of juxtaposition between, like, is it worth it to liberate just a few people, like Beam is trying to do, and, you know, you can sacrifice yourself for that, or do you sacrifice your entire being, like Raju has, and, like submerge your morals because your bigger goal is the liberation of a much larger group of people. You know, do the means justify the ends? Kind of relates to both of these films. It's true. And I also want to touch back on how this relates to being kind of caught up in the corporate web of control. Right. So even though they are resisting the corporate agenda and trying to enact their own agenda of helping animals, they're actually just feeding into that agenda of the corporations, actually. And, and this happens in reality, and it's a, this movie is an example of how it might work. Right. So Nancy comes in, takes over, like we said, and she turns what could be a detriment into a strength. For the company. For the company, just basically is saying, liquidate the project, you know, slaughter all the animals, turn them into meat, we'll sell it. She said, like we said, people, It's if it's cheap, people will buy it. So they're not actually hurt. They can use anything people do to their advantage if they spin it the right way. 
Yeah, I mean, this reflects the real world, I think, where usually corporations don't really face consequences. We hear about abuses at a company like Amazon, and their profits are still through the roof, higher than ever. It's true. When we're talking about black chalk in this movie, you're comparing it to black water, which is private security, right? Yeah, private military. Yeah, private military. That's a much better description and what it is. Something that has always been problematic throughout history. And uh, right now, it's funny that you bring up the A company. because The A-holes. That's right. Because their factory workers are trying to unionize right now. And A-hole is making an attempt to stop it. Not too unlike a hundred years ago in the 1920s when unions were being formed. That's right. Private military, the Pinkertons, were often employed as union busters. That's That's right. right. Very troubling parallels in the last hundred years. So I'm like, Blackwater? Next union busters? It's almost like the economically powerful are always trying to quash everybody else no matter the fact that it hurts the most people while benefiting the fewest Hmm. and that is what it all comes down to is that they are in the position of power that's why they don't suffer implications or not very severe ones and why they're they have the means to turn what would maybe make a smaller company crumble with a, with a scandal, and they can turn that into a positive. Right. And it comes down to they have more resources, money. And in a capitalist system, that is held up as the ideal form of resource or measure of success. So that is what gives them this power, because they can manipulate others through economic means. Right, and they have just, their larger economic resources also give them greater influence over a wider net of people. And it's fascinating, again, much like RRR, we are seeing how this company not only has influence in the urban mass population environment, Mija and her grandfather are from the rural mountains of Korea. They're still impacted by this. The global impact of corporate greed and the totalitarian dictatorship of corporations extends to every stretch of the planet, right? It's not just in cities and large metro areas. They find a way to get their tendrils into small, distant, remote places. I mean, they make a big emphasis about how remote... Mija's home is when Jake Gyllenhaal is climbing up the mountain and they're like arriving there and it's this big thing. Like they're kind of out and far away from the city center, but Miranda has found a way to wrap them up into their lifestyle too. It's true. But just as the movie kind of hints at with that last scene, we're not without hope. You're talking about the last scene on the bus where the ALF is uniting again. Exactly. And recruiting more members. And they seem to have learned from some of their previous mistakes. And while we're talking about the ALF, our perspective, more virtuous team within the movie. But not completely innocent. No. Well, they're kind of really interesting the way they're portrayed to me. 
because they're very flawed. Yes. However, yeah. they're trying to do the right thing. It's just a lot of them disagree on what the right thing is to do in a lot of situations. And in some, in some parts, their behaviors are shown as sort of character traits and like jokey. Like there's one character who really wants to cause so little harm to the planet that he is malnourished right he's starving himself he doesn't even want to eat plants because of the harm that it does to the plant yeah and uh of course i think a lot of us have heard about people like that i remember back in the day there was like a joke back in like high school people were like have you ever heard about level 10 vegans that won't eat anything that has a shadow (laughs) right and just and i was just reminded of that when this character is like passing out from not eating and won't eat a tomato when it's offered to him right but he's doing that for really good like sure it's coming from a good place the alf characters are complex in this film i would say probably the the most complex characters misha is very single-minded and i think we get her perspective the corporation is very single-minded too and and even though some of the characters are complex not to the same degree that I think the ALF characters are. So you're making me think again about the moral implications that we've set up around this expanded idea of sentience. So by the very nature of our physical existence, it requires us to consume things for nutrients. Those things are other living beings, whether they're sentient or not. And so part of our conscious experience of living is grappling with that idea that part of our continued existence comes at the expense of other living beings. But the importance of understanding what is sentient or not and understanding the ethics around that is how we behave and think about other living beings. And it it doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat, (laughs) right? But it means that we should be behaving in the best way possible, and we can always find new ways to do that. And it means that we don't have to cause undue pain and suffering on other living beings just to keep our own existence going. Yeah, that's right. When it comes down to eating and not wanting to cause other things to suffer, you're saying, like, what right do I have to take that thing's life, right? But also, like, your life is just as valuable as other things' lives are, right? And you don't have to always take a life when you eat something. Like, when you eat broccoli, you don't have to kill the entire plant to get that food. It's true. Also, with fruit, plants drop that. True. So it's not like you're tormenting the thing, the tree or plant by eating that. It's just animals. Well, there aren't supposed to be as many cows as there are because we've mass produced them. Right. And like. Just like the pigs in this movie. Yeah. Also, it could be. It's probably less moral to only eat part of a cow (laughs) than to eat the entire thing. You know, like. Like the thing with vegetables right broccoli you cut off the top the plant keeps growing you cut off the leg of a cow that stays off yes. you know yeah uh but there are more 
as we say, humane ways to treat animals while they're alive and in the way that they die for the need of sustenance. That's right. Also, I know veganism is a thing, but there are harmless ways to get animal products. Like, chickens will just lay a fuck ton of eggs. Yeah. <laughs> like, whether or not we have a hand in that or not, they're going to lay... Eggs, and they're not all going to get fertilized. So you can just eat those suckers. <laughs> yeah. Bees. Although some people would feel differently about that because it is the potential for life. Yeah, it's true. It is true. But you're not you're not necessarily harming a chicken or an embryo by eating an egg. Right. And the same with bees. If you smoke them, you're definitely dazing them. I'm sure it's unpleasant. But like... No, you don't kill and you don't have to kill any bees. You're saying to that. procure honey. Yeah, exactly. What it comes down to is thinking about these things is important. Yes. And having these questions is important. And thinking of ways that we could improve the way that we treat other living beings is important. And that's why understanding sentience matters. Sure. I mean, it is impossible to live a life as a part of any group without causing some kind of harm to some kind of living being just through the nature of our own need for food and shelter and whatnot. But being aware of that, hopefully for some people, for the majority of people, the more they knew would contribute to them acting in a more humane way. But this movie kind of questions whether or not that would be the case. And that's what we were saying about the corporate structure earlier. There's no reason that they are shown or motivated to examine what we're talking about. It's true. The, to them, it would only be harmful for them to start seeing the creatures they are killing and selling as sentient, right? Right. Because it so, would cut in, potentially cut into their profit margin. And it might make them feel emotionally bad, which <laughs> right. is something they're trying to avoid. Cognitive dissonance is a huge motivator. That is when you know that you are a good person. You must be a good person because you are you, and you, you know it to be true. So that means you can justify practically every action you take because it must be something that a good person would do because you are a good person. That is my summation of cognitive dissonance. That's why I'm like, maybe the corporate leader would potentially be lower on the sentience scale or want to be. Nancy. Nancy. Because she's divorcing herself from that sensory input. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the markers of sentience, right? She is motivated 100% by profit and... Just kind of the broad concept of trade. Her sentience is, you could say it's stunted because you're talking about one of the criteria of the ability to experience feelings. Yes. Like emotions. She does display some emotions. Sure. But none of them would be what we would consider wanted emotions like happiness, joy, or gratitude. So her sentience ability is definitely stunted. And like we said, like that's different from self-awareness or consciousness, which she displays. So, Also, when you say she's driven by a singular drive for profit, aren't creatures we normally describe as having a singular drive, like 
mosquitoes and shit. <laughs> Ants. Like things we consider to have no intelligence. Viruses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't even describe viruses as being alive, which is harsh. Now, there's another side to Nancy oh. that I want to just talk about where she stands in as this commentary of corporations, right? Because she can be motivated to do something that we can view as a more moral thing. She can be sold the idea of letting Okja go with the profit motivation. And this is usually what we accuse a lot of corporations of when they are pandering, right, to certain groups. There's a big case that people tend to make that Disney has no interest in diversity, right? They just want to make sure that they can sell to the most people. So they will include small nods to LGBTQ plus rights and other social goods. They'll do things that might send a good message to those groups, but only because it's a profit motive, because they want to get the maximum number of customers. Right. So going back to the idea of resistance, is which is what you're kind of bringing up for me right now, you can't completely thwart the ag agenda of the economic elite on your own, but you can do that when you're a part of a community. Sure. Like they show at the ALF at the end. The hope is in the continuing struggle, actually. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And not giving up. I think that the portrayal of the ALF is actually really good for a few reasons. Because for one, this is a, often a, a critique of leftist groups. People will make two arguments that are diametrically opposed. One is that the left are a hive mind who all <laughs> believe the same thing. Anybody who's ever interacted with any group of leftists know that that is the dumbest possible reading of anything it's so far from reality that it becomes ridiculous exactly if anything people on the right are much more united in a single vision of how to uh do the most harm that's why they're so dangerous <laughs> they're like the roman empire sure whereas on the left you get a lot of different differing opinions on how to do things right what degrees of participation you should be engaged in the alf does a good job of representing that they don't agree. This group has completely different views. They have infighting. At the end of the movie, once J and K have come to a better agreement and seen a better way to go forward working together, that's when we get the inkling that maybe there's going to be a more effective resistance now that they are beginning to understand better how to work as a team. And how to have the same goals. Kay kind of comes to a realization after a violent attack by Jay, who is a avowed pacifist. Yeah, it was a very hypocritical and traumatic experience to watch. Yeah. And to, for them as characters. <laughs> it was a painful upheaval, but in the end it may have united them more. That's true. And... When it comes to Mirando, right, the perspective antagonist, there uh, I sort of viewed it as there's a leftist and a rightist group that are both in support and against Mirando, right? Obviously, the ALF are the leftist group that's against it, right? They're pacifists. They're trying to save something. They're trying to save living beings, right? 
and they they're trying to do all that in a moral way but the rightist group that's supporting Miranda Corps, I viewed as black chalk. Sure. I mean, they are a PMC, a private military contractor. So they are literally paid to commit violence in defense of not the state in this case, but Miranda kind of stands in for the state. They're not defending anything. They're just trying to get income and their only skill is violence. Sure. They attack the ALF. Because their boss told them to do it. That's right. And the only benefit is going to be that they get paid to do it. And they're beating up these people without caring what the motivation is for the ALF at all. Yeah, absolutely. And so with the ALF, we can see examples of more or less effective forms of resistance. Yes. Less effective forms are pursuing short-sighted agendas that are less inclusive of other perspectives and potential allies. And in the end, you see that more effective forms and something that can keep hope alive, which is a very important component of resistance movements, is including more perspectives, more diversity in your movement, and acting in ways that don't thwart your own agenda. Yes, you should have a diversity of opinions, but you have to come to a singularity of motivation. Not a singularity of motivation, a singularity of purpose. The purpose in this case is the betterment of existence for living sentient creatures. Or even not just living creatures. It's important to have a united front. And infighting only serves to strengthen... Those who would work against you. Exactly. So guys, we need to move on, but I want to ask you one more question. And I've alluded to this up to this point, but I've been saving this for last because I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'd like to discuss the wider implications of this movie being distributed by Netflix, a corporate entity. Yes, that is a quandary right there. And I've alluded to this up to this point, right? Talking about how a corporation will produce seemingly subversive content while still maintaining their own hegemony. And I don't think that's what Bong Joon-ho is doing. Bong Joon-ho, I think, is a tremendous director who has a lot to say about society and whose films are a mirror into life and into our struggles. And are subversive by holding up that mirror. But his films are popular and they get distributed on popular through, through popular channels. So it's really complicated why Netflix would be pushing this. One potential way to look at this is, I think, at least from my perspective, there are two main reasons, right? One of them, I think the simpler one, is that Bong Joon-ho, as a director, has a lot of really good things to say about society. Uh, his commentary is always really important and really insightful and excellently portrayed. He still has to make money in order to keep making movies. Sure. And Netflix is very rich and are really trying to push to be like, look how good Netflix media is, right? Also, there, I was reading articles about this before. One of their main agendas right now is expanding their influence worldwide. Yes. Which is part of that globalization we talked about earlier. And this movie came out five years ago, but it is part of this extended push that they're making exactly which has been years in the making 
they feel like they've reached as much saturation as they can expect in the U.S. I mean, they're ubiquitous. Haven't you ever heard of Netflix and chilling? Exactly. Which I assume is when you hang out with your friends and watch Netflix. (laughs) Even our reproduction is based around Netflix. (laughs) So over the past several years, they have been expanding to include productions from other countries all around the world to try to increase viewerships from people in those places and that speak those languages. So this film is part of that agenda. It serves to strengthen the corporation that is showing this movie that is re- trying is resistant to the idea of corporate structures. That is what concerns me, that a film like this, its message is so poignant because its distribution platform reinforces it. You know, if it's cheap enough, if it's convenient enough, the people will pay for it. So they can sell this idea of resistance because in their view, nobody's ever going to stand up to them as a corporation. So they can put a movie like this that has a subversive message on their platform and most people will just completely miss the point or will not engage in any action beyond watching the movie and going, well, gosh darn it, somebody should do something. I think another part of it is the idea of idyllic foundation. Where they are a corporation that has set an idea of what kind of direction they want to move in, right? And a corporation with ideals is sort of interesting. I do think because it's not a singular entity, right? A corporation is made up of many different departments. And I think there's probably a department out there that says... We have ideals and we're steering the company in this direction, but it it's still a corporation. So while they have some say in, we want to promote these good values, they're being held back by just the nature of what they're working with. Sure. They are, they are fighting a much larger fight or they are fighting against a much larger foe. So I think probably part of what Netflix is doing is we believe in these things, but It's a corporation, so that's only as good as long as the people in that department are able to make that happen. Yeah, I think it's more that the individuals working the company are thinking, we believe in these things. As a corporation, Netflix believes in nothing other than growing into every single home eventually. Well, yeah. Well, obviously, I mean the people in the departments because Netflix is not anything. Sure. If there are no people, there's no Netflix, right? (laughs) Netflix doesn't exist. (laughs) It is a concept. I agree with that perspective. Yeah. I think it's probably some degree of there are probably departments within Netflix that are like, we believe in good vibes, right? And then I think it's also Bong Joon-ho needs money in order to keep making good movies. So corporate deals. It's very complicated. A deal with the devil, if you will. Sure. Or a deal with God. Also... Earlier in this episode, like, you said the phrase, ends and means, right? Yeah. And I often hear it like, do the ends justify the means, right? Right. But you said it the reverse. You said, did the means justify the ends? I'm like, wait, no one (laughs) ever asks it that way, but that's an important way to ask it also. (laughs) If you're doing something good, 
Is it worth it if the result is something vile? Yeah, I mean, or my dyslexia kicked in. Either way. No, I mean, still. I think it worked. <laughs> it I'll, does work. I'll take credit for the genius of it. Yes. But guys, we should probably move into the smithy at this point. Yes. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature of the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 golden pigs? Yeah, my epic moment and or feature has to be the character development between the Riddler and Invincible. Very nice. That would be J and K in this Mm. film. Oh, yeah, J and K. Well, (laughs) K for the ALF is the Korean English translator they have. Yes. Boy, we didn't touch on that nearly as much as we could have. Right. Well, there's a scene where Jay is saying, hey, main character. Mija. Mija. We want Okja's help in making sure the world sees this bad institution as being bad but we will only do it with your consent very epic very pog yes and k translates that and he's like all right do you want to help us out or or go home and she's like oh i want to go home and k mistranslates on purpose he's like she's down because he's so driven to make this mission happen he lies and so they they go ahead and they take okja to America and me just like what the fuck <laughs> right and she's yeah. confused she feels betrayed by them yeah because she was so. betrayed by them <laughs> yes and when like we said earlier when Jay finds out that Kay had lied and mistranslated after Kay Kay says like oh I fucked up right I mistranslated this is he finds out about this right after a very difficult sexual violence scene that's right so everyone in that room is really triggered by this horrible thing they're witnessing Kay says by the way I mistranslated and this is kind of on me that this is happening not yeah. you guys and so Jay beats him up yeah and uh, we we have violence heaped upon violence in this film. That's right. He beats him up. He says, you're out of the ALF. You're never coming back. He comes back. <laughs> he also says, we're going to keep borrowing your uh, computer equipment because we need it. But that he they says would re- to him, translation is sacred. Yeah, he said, never mistranslate again, right? Yeah. Or something like that. And uh, yeah, they said, we're going to keep your computer equipment because we need it for the job. We'll return it after. They're kind of cool like that. <laughs> and and uh, they, I mean, I'm, I just think it's nice. They said, we'll give it back. Yeah. And so uh, when they show to the world the video footage they've gotten and they're being attacked by Black Chalk. Kay is the person who shows up with a truck, loads them on, and gets them out of there. Saves the day. Saves their asses. And Jay is like, what are you doing back here, right? Not angry. He's just shocked and kind of, like, happy because they're friends. And they had a falling out. He came back to save their asses. And Kay, this is my epic moment, reveals the tattoo that says, like, some I forget the exact quote. Translation is sacred. Yeah, translation is sacred. Which is awesome. It's like a fresh tattoo. So, like, yeah. he takes it seriously. 
And you can tell he's back in the group. In yeah. the final credit scene, he's back in the group. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like... They're in ALF. That's just like one of... That moment was so epic. He's just like, I got a tattoo because it how much this means to me, right? And it seems like J and K patch things up between them. It's true. Totally awesome. They forgive each other. We all make mistakes in the heat of passion, Jimbo. Uh, I'm going to have to give this movie... Probably a 10 out of 10 golden pigs. The messaging is incredible. It's really good. I hope to see it more times than just this. It's just so, like, it's fun and sad at the same time. It really makes me think and evaluate a lot of my own morals and assumptions. And, you know, it just, it really is just a fantastic masterpiece. So I'm going to have to give it. Yeah, 10 out of 10 traumatized golden pigs. <laughs> <laughs> a flawless pig, as it were. Yes. I love it. Nice. All right, Cass, how about you? What's your epic moment or feature? And then you're rating from 1 to 10 golden pigs. Thanks for asking. I want to bring some levity back in and say my epic moment is the first time the ALF helped Misha and Okja escape. <laughs> yes and that is when she first goes to Seoul to rescue Oakjaw and right. they, they come in to help they are escaping in a van and security and some of the spokespeople for the corporation that were overseeing her transportation try to run after them to get her back Oakjaw I mean and they're able to escape into the truck with the help of the ALF, Mija and Okja are, and they throw some ball bearings down, the ALF does, to make a bunch of the security guards slip, which works. And there's one guy that's still running after them. We call him the corporate crony. His name was Mundo, and he was yeah. like one of the major project coordinators. And he's still running after them. He was able to, uh, you know, leap over the ball bearings. This guy is driven. He didn't yeah. seem awful. He, loyalty he cared about a lot. Yeah. Yes. And so what does Misha do? But pat Okja on the rump to encourage Okja <laughs> to poop. That's right. And she, uh, like I said, she poops like a hippo. Yep. So, and her tail looks like a hippo's tail, similar. So she's swinging her tail back and forth and pooping. And what that does is it flings poop everywhere. <laughs> this is weaponized feces, my friends. And it flies all over the driveway they're leaving from and covers this guy as he's trying, still trying to run after them, like in the face too. And finally he stops because he's so disgusted. And um, they get away. The camera lingers on this shot of this feces-covered driveway. It's amazing. And the guy calls his wife or partner and says, uh, Honey, what kind of uh, soap do we have at home? <laughs> yes. It was great. And I love that they weaponized poop to escape their pursuers. It was amazing. Yeah, actually, following our usual rating tradition, I guess it should have been 1 to 10 super pig poops. Yeah. But 
Because that was the primary weapon in this film. It was. So, wow. This movie had fun moments, exciting moments, uh, very traumatic moments um, and content. But it was, it all felt real and like it mattered at the same time. And it really pulled me in and drew a lot of different emotions out of me. And it was very well acted and shot, of course. And um, a lot of the characters were compelling and believable. And uh, many of whom were endearing. I highly recommend this film with the caveat that you need to be ready to experience some heavy topics. Definitely. If you're going to watch it. Um, Same with pretty much every Bong Joon-ho movie. Yeah. So I'm going to give this movie a 10 out of 10 golden pigs. Another perfect pig. Yeah. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating out of 1 to 10 golden pigs? Thank you for asking. My epic feature of this movie is the true hero. Somebody we haven't even talked about yet. The unnamed truck driver who works for the Mirando Corporation, who is transporting Oakja along with Mundo. That's right. Yes. They are driving Oakja from Seoul to the airport. A male presenting person. Sure. That is, that. this person seems to be of the male persuasion. He is the truck driver. He's a licensed truck driver. And his job is to take Oakja from the corporate headquarters to the airport to get her to New York City. He's there to do his job. That's it. Yeah. He has no interest in any political motivations, like, inherently. Like, he's not driven at this point by any larger need other than Miranda is paying me to do a job. I will not put myself at risk or in any harm's way to do that job. He's just there to make a buck and to go home and to live peacefully. And he's riding with Mundo, who's the exact opposite. This is the gung-ho, trying-to-go-up-the-corporate-ladder guy. And Mundo is pissed at this driver for not driving more recklessly, for not like putting up a fight against the ALF. When the ALF shows up and starts basically commandeering their vehicle... Mundo's like, we gotta fight these guys. The truck driver stops the truck and is like, nope, I'm a licensed truck driver. I'm not here to get into any fights for the company. I am not a stan. I am, I'm gonna just step out of the truck and you deal with it. He was an ally. He also said like, like, by the way, I am a licensed truck driver and also I don't have workers comp. Yeah. I'm not going to fight for this company. Exactly. He's not going to put his life on the line for a corporation that would never do that for him. I love this guy. Uh, yeah. He's basically like, why should I have loyalty to a company that doesn't show any loyalty or support to me? I want every Twitter reply guy to watch this movie, study this character, and realize that corporations don't give a fuck about you beyond how they can weaponize you against the general public. Elon Musk only cares about your tweets in support of him because they boost up his ego, not because he's going to give you a free Tesla or anything if you're online sucking his cock. It's just like in RRR. 
how can they weaponize the people against themselves to self-police like they were um, recruiting um, native Indian people into the English army. Exactly. And what ends up happening to this truck driver? Exactly. And that's why he is my epic feature. Because at the end of the movie, he is on the bus with JNK and the rest of the newly reformed and reunited ALF. And he has become a revolutionary against Mirando. He was weaponized against the company he worked for because he wasn't interested in anything they could do for him because all they could do for him was pay him, not support him in any way. The ALF are a moral organization. Even if they're flawed, they have a better standing than Mirando. And he runs a website called, like, fuckmirando.com. Yes, exactly. So he wouldn't stand Mirando... But we stand the unnamed truck driver. Yeah. Hell yeah. Honk, honk, brother. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, come on. Talk about the ultimate working class character. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that he teaches us, which we haven't really touched on yet, another way to resist our corporate overlords is to not let them colonize your mind. That's right. Exactly. Don't believe their lies. And how they report about themselves, because it's usually with rose-colored glasses. At the end of the day, that is the most important lesson, I think, from all of this. This whole film. Also, don't be cruel to anyone, and especially to animals who have few ways to resist. Yeah, respect life. With all that being said, I would be remiss to give this movie anything less than a perfect pig. (laughs) <laughs> 10 out of 10 golden pigs it is that'll a- do pigs <laughs> that's right yes. thank you it is a heavy movie it is a hard movie to watch at times it made me sad it made me feel a lot of things yeah but man it's good it has moments of levity it has moments of triumph the ending can really feel like a bummer when Mija is leaving with her small victory, right? She is... We even get a chance to talk about Mija nearly enough for what a great character she is. It's true. But, I mean, she she wins against the corporation in a way, but she also can't stand up against them in a way that would help all the pigs. That's where we hope the ALF will come in. But much like real life, we kind of have to revel in Mija's small victory while begrudging the larger corporate culture that is harming her and the pigs. And it's tough. It's a tough conclusion to have to end on. I'm really glad they added the postscript that had a little bit of hope, but yeah, I mean, there's some really rough stuff in this movie, but it is beautifully shot. It has some amazing symbolism that we weren't even able to touch on. Like when Mija, like, bodily throws herself into a window that shatters and then like knocks over a fake tree that's like an electronic tree and it's like just taking out this manufactured environment that is just this fake nature because she's trying to defend an actual creature that is both natural and not right the pigs are gmo like it is this weird complicated movie i don't think that the complexity muddles the message at all no. It just leaves you with a lot of questions to consider. And for that, yeah, it scores a perfect pig. 
It's an amazing movie. Woo! Everybody who has the stomach for it, I think, should give it a watch. Yeah. This whole month was a 60 out of 60. So far, we've got one more movie in this month because this is an extra long month. Oh, yeah. What so is it? we're going to be getting a bonus movie at the end of the month, Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, it's one of Jack's picks for the show. Oh, yeah. So make sure to tune in for that. But until next week, we'd like to thank you all for joining us here at Swords and Satire. As always, if you enjoyed the show, you should probably follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That way you can keep up with the show, check out our memes, and let us know what you thought about the movies and the episodes. And if you have the means, uh, for as little as $2 a month, you could support us on Patreon.com. We would really appreciate it. It helps us keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire. And it's not just for financial support. You also get to vote on the movies we watch and get access to bonus episodes and other cool stuff and have a way to interact with us more directly as well. And so if you are interested in something like that, you could go to patreon.com slash swords and satire to join our patron community. That's right. But if you don't have a few extra bucks to slide toward your favorite podcasters. Yeah. Another great way you can support the show is by sharing it with your friends and family. Because what better way is there to enjoy some of your favorite media than with some of your favorite people? Yeah. That's right. Just like we do every week here. That's right. So until next time. Hail Crom. I almost wanted to say hail Oakja.